I think about um, the relationship that we do have with God. Now, oftentimes, you know, we as men, you know, we're tough. We like to be tough. You know, we think about, you know, I don't like to cry. You know, it's not like my first thing, like, you know, I really want to cry about things. It's not, not how I tend to think, right? It's, uh, but there's just something about the love of a father that, that brings, I think, that brings a, a level of intimacy that we all crave, that masculine intimacy. When Damon was talking about being a reflection of our heavenly father to our children, I think there's something powerful about masculine love being exhibited in an intimate fashion. We're genuinely caring in a nurturing way towards our children. <laughs> I think of all the, you know, my daughters, they really enjoy, like, you know, that, that cuddly, you know, it's, it's dad's masculine love, but they're drawn to that that intimate, just huggy, lovey, feely, touchy, mmm, right? Now, Wade, on the other hand, he starts to show forth those characteristics that we men do. Okay, come here, buddy. Give daddy a hug. It's like, dad, we're tough, right? Isn't that right? But, you know, when nobody's watching and it gets to that moment, Wade's back doing J12, isn't he? Yeah. It's his day. That's all I got to say. <laughs> you know, he's, he's building those muscles, and he's, you know, it's, it's kind of neat the way we connect now and, and all that fatherly interaction that, that has masculinity to it, but there's something about the intimacy that exists between a father and his son. You know, it's uh, next week, by the way, you, you saw on your, your chairs that Kyle Rogers will be here. He's going to be speaking in our camp, so we... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's going to do a good job for sure. Um, but since he's coming in and, and, and we're picking him up at the airport, we get the benefit of him preaching in our church service before he heads up to camp. Yes, right? But, you know, in the midst of that, one of the things I would say is that he's going to be talking about how there's two trees and two gardens, if you will. You know, you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in, in the garden you know, of Eden, and then he's going to talk about Jesus, the tree of life, of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's going to be powerful, I promise you that. Make sure you bring your friends. But, but when you think about that relationship that exists between a father you know, and his children, but particularly a father and his son, I think there's an element of my responsibility to weigh to raise him as a man that would know the balance of being masculine, being strong and tough and and, and that one that his family can depend on for security and, 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 and look to for, for that, that aspect of you don't have to worry about anything. And then that side that our families need where we're intimate, we're loving, we're caring, we're nurturing towards them. Would you agree? Yeah. And um, so, you know, even last night, you know, uh, it's kind of one of those things. You know, Wade's on his cell phone a lot. I don't know if your kids do that. You know, they're just on their cell phone a lot. And I'm kind of like, you know, put that thing down and... And I'm um, like, so you doing okay with that? I'm asking, Dad, why do you always ask me questions about what I'm doing when I'm, when I'm on my phone? I said, well, son, that's my responsibility to hold you accountable for, you know, what you're doing with your time on your phone. Yeah, but you do it all the time. I said, okay, well, let's talk about all the time there. 
you've been on your phone how many hours today? And I asked that question, and it took 30 seconds. So let's compare that time. Is it all the time? No. I said, okay, if you were to look at your time on the phone during your week, and how many times I ask you, hey, what do you, you know, let me see your phone. And I do. Angie and I both do this. Let me see your phone. Scan, scan. Who's this guy? I say, oh, well, it's kind of a friend from school. Okay, well, you know, where he's saying these cuss words and, land, you know, it's one thing for you to be a witness to him, but I think you need to make sure you're careful about what you're being influenced by. Does that make sense? In other words, in other words, um, he's going to work a job. He's gonna, you know, there's going to be those aspects of interacting with this world, but this is what I, I, I felt the Lord inspire me to read that. Uh, how great the Father's love. He's bestowed that love on us. We don't yet know what we're going to be, but we know we're going to be like him. But yet in this earth, the world doesn't recognize us as children of God, but that's exactly what we are. And so when I'm talking to my son about those things, what I'm saying is I'm saying, be the child of God you're meant to be. Because the world, they don't understand it, and your witness is important. You may be the only witness that they ever see that reflects the Father's love and how great it is that it's been bestowed on your life and it's a reflection to others so that they too might come into relationship with their Heavenly Father. He is the Father of all. Make no mistake about it. But He has obedient children and He has disobedient children, correct? And, 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 and Jesus uh, has called us to go into all the world and to teach them to obey all he's commanded to. That's the Great Commission. Go into all the world and teach them to obey all I've commanded you to, to, to do. And what is that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's really about love, letting that love spill over. And we as fathers, I believe, are the greatest example to our children. What I love is even though I'm confronting my son and he has that teenage like, and now that he's got muscles, I don't know what it is, <laughs> you know, the thing is, is my muscles are still bigger than his right now. I don't know how long that will last because he's young. Mine are always kind of deteriorating. I have to work them very, very carefully to make sure that I can have some muscle mass because they just, they don't, it's either fat or they, there's no muscle, you understand? But, but right now, he, he's following in his father's footsteps on that, but I watch how fast he's putting on muscle and I'm saying, he's working that out, and so what do I do? He's, he's like... Hey, Dad, check this out. And we're like comparing. And, and I'm like, that's awesome, son. I'm, I'm really glad you're disciplining yourself that way. Now I want to talk to you about your spiritual muscles. See what I'm saying? I start talking about, you know, it, the same as you're lifting those weights and, and drinking a protein shake or, you know, eating your chicken so you got protein to build those muscles. Let me say the Word of God. Reading the Word of God. And, and if you will, prayer seeking after him that way that's your protein to the word to to make uh, you know reading the word you know uh, the letter killeth but the spirit gives life you can lift all those weights but if you don't have something to feed it it's not going to grow and let me say that you can get the word of god in you but if you don't if you're not seeking after him and asking the holy spirit to give you a revelation of his word then your spiritual muscles are not going to grow you're not going to know how to use the word we need to know how to use the word as well. But anyway, last night, as I did that, to, to kind of sum up some of my illustration here as I go into these uh, passages, is that when I did that with him, and he's a little bit standoffish at first, it was that appeal to him. You know, son, do you understand? 
I'm not doing it all the time, but I am doing it appropriately so that I'm being an example to you so you know where to go with your life and how to, how to handle all the, the power that you have. He's like, yeah, I guess. I'm like, I love you. The only reason I speak these things to you is I want the best things for you. And he, yeah. I said, and everybody else out there, you know, all these friends, here's what I would ask. Is this person in the Word of God? Is this person, you know, how's this person? In? Well, they're more my friends, okay. And if they're not influencing you that way, you need to be an influence to them. But what's neat is the moment that he's, and that's the part I'm saying about knowing the Word of God, but sharing it with revelation, because I watch him soften. And as he softens, he's like, yeah, I understand, Dad. I'm like, okay, I love you, man. And he just, I love you too, Dad, and hugs me. And he be, it, it, see, there's that, te- we have to keep our children tender enough in heart that they can receive, that soil has to remain you know, uh, that fallow ground, if you will. He's out there living life. He's around friends, and he gets stomped on, stomped on, stomped on, stomped on. Because to be a witness for Christ is not easy in this world. Can, you, can I get an amen on that? You know, to talk about Jesus out there, it's like, well, I don't want to hear. He deals with the same thing. It's like, do I be a wit- should I be a witness? Because these people might reject me and then not want to be my friends anymore. They won't want to lift weights with me anymore. That's the thing. That gets pushed back. This is in worldliness and and carnality and flesh is embraced so easy while spiritual things are pushed away. And for him, he needs to understand he needs to be both. And the way for him to understand that is to have a father. And ultimately, a relationship with a father. I've got about a year left. I've worked hard with my daughters and, and they've done well. They've had up times and down times. I know that those of you who are raising children, you've seen the same thing. And you want to know something? Our parents dealt with the same thing. Ups and downs of raising children. Let me say that God is still dealing with us with the ups and downs of raising us up to be the children of God. That's what that passage was pointing to as well. We don't yet know what we shall look like or or what we shall be, but we know we will look like Him. As His children, He's transforming and changing us bit by bit. And if we have that intimate relationship, understanding the security of God's, if you will, his masculine love, is that God is going to protect you, provide for you, secure you. All those promises that are yes and amen is so you feel safe. So you feel the heavenly Father's love bestowed upon you with all the gifts that come with it. But make no mistake about it, you've got to see the relationship right. If you do, then all that is his is yours. That's what Jesus came and died on a cross for. So with that, today, my uh, sermon title is Life-Giving Identity. Living in the tree of life, a life-giving identity. Being life-giving to those around you, allowing the life of God to flow into you by your relationship to Him. In Galatians uh, 3.26 is our first scripture. For you you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, That's the New Living Translation. The King James, the New King James says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. I want to take both those translations because many translations will say son of God and then there's some that say children of God. But I want to make it clear that the ones who say son of God, they're correct, 
But in Christ, there's not a man or female, bond nor free, Jew nor Greek. And we're going to read this passage right here, Galatians 4, 4 through 5. It says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Listen to this in Galatians 3, 28 through 29 in the Message Bible. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew or non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, since you are Christ's family, then you are Abraham's famous descendant, heirs according to the covenant promise. Now, here's the deal. Not just heirs, but the Bible talks about us being joint heirs. It, it would be like this. Angie and I, because it's covenant. It's a covenant relationship. And in that covenant relationship, everything that is Christ becomes mine. And everything that is mine becomes Christ. Now, here's the amazing thing about it. All my sin and all my shame, everything that was mine, which was very little to offer, he took, and all that was his was bestowed upon me. And you know what? I want to be in a position to where I recognize how much the Father loves me, because when I recognize how much the Father loves me, I'm in that place of a life-giving identity, because I don't feel ashamed to come and say, I'll take it. I don't think you got that. that. That here's what I've got to offer. Here's what he's got to offer. And I say, I'll take it. It doesn't get any better than that. And, then, and through that, what happens is, by the grace of God, now all of a sudden, through the work of Christ, not my work, because salvation is not of our works, lest any man should boast, but salvation is through his work. And as a result of that, now I have something in this covenant relationship to offer God. I offer Him my worship. I bring to Him the sacrifice of my praise. I put my hand to the plow of His work to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that God has commanded to do. Lo, I am with you, He says always, even to the end of the age. That He's not going to leave me nor forsake me. I don't have to uh, uh, fret the, the tough moments. I don't have to fret the hard times because I know that he is with me. So, so like my marriage to Angie, right? And, and you know, I got the better deal, wouldn't you say? <laughs> she got gypped. <laughs> but not really. She wouldn't say that. See, the, the, here's what's interesting. Do you think Jesus feels gypped? Because he had to die on the cross. The Bible says it was for the joy set before him. He endured the cross because of the joy set before him. It also declares that you and I are his joy. I think that's an amazing thing when you think about it. It's the same thing. I may have to sacrifice certain things in life for Angie. She may have to sacrifice certain things for me. But as a result... The two of us become one. And, and it's like, I don't even know where I end and she begins. And now, now, 
you know, bear with me here. I'm talking relationally. I know that Angie's sitting there and I'm up here. I'm not like, you know, I haven't lost my mind. But I'm saying that, that Angie can complete thoughts. That I start a sentence and Angie could go, yeah, and that she knows what I'm thinking. See what I'm saying? She, she knows me. God knows me better than anybody and Angie next to him. And then probably my children and then the elders, you know, the, the closest relationships I have elders and advisors in my life that I spend the, the time with and allow them to speak into my life, the congregation, you know, my ex, I know, I know this body better than I know it, my extended family and I love them and I enjoy being around them. But see, I've been grafted into the family of God because of the work of Christ and God has become my father, the same as, as your father. And as a result, in a sense, we all become one in him. So what is the difference? What is the difference, if you will, between a life-giving identity and just an identity? Because I believe that fathers have much to do with establishing the identity of a, of a child. They, they draw much off of a father on who am I. They bear our name, that's for sure. Isn't that right? And make no mistake about it. Kids may hear what you're saying, but they're watching what you're doing, dads. And watching what you're doing, they'll actually become more like what you're doing than what you're saying. Because what you say has to be backed up by what you do. Because your actions, and we all tell our children this, your actions speak louder than your words. It applies to us as well. Our actions need to back, our, our words, if you will, need to be the backup to our actions. So uh, the difference is we're no longer slaves. We're children. We are no longer slaves, but we are children. We're no longer slaves to sin. Listen to this. We're no longer slaves to race. We're no longer slaves to social status. We're no longer slaves to our flesh, if you will, humanity and the weakness of our humanity, our gender. We're no, that's what Paul's saying in this. Is he saying that, that we're neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, and, and when you look at that, none of the outward appearance matters. Nothing outward matters. You, you could be wealthy and, or you could be poor, and that doesn't matter if you're born again. You could be a man or you could be a woman, and that doesn't matter if you're born again. You could be uh, um, English, Irish, Scottish, you know, um, Hispanic, uh, African-American. You, you just go down the list. Keep on going. It doesn't matter. None of that matters anymore because in Christ, we all become one. That's what the Scripture is telling us, that we all become one. That we are now, through God's grace, children and heirs, and not just heirs, but those joint heirs, meaning joined to or joined together, and then sharing, watch this, sharing interest and liability. I want to ask you the question, who got the greatest interest and who got the greatest liability? Jesus took our liabilities and gave us his interest. Come on now. And we need to be interested in what Jesus' interests are. So, then I ask this question on Father's Day. For all of us, but fathers, what example are we setting? Are we setting an example of slavery, or are we setting an example of being an heir? So, are we a slave, or are we a child? See, the slave, and this, if you've got your outlines there, just start filling these in. The slave has a master, the child has a father. 
The slave has a master, the child has a father. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because we are all his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. We don't cry out. I mean, he is our master. And in that sense, here's what I want to show you. When you, when you take Paul, if you read the book of Romans, you'll find out you know, the theme through, through all of Romans. When you think about the, all the... I'm sure some of you have watched some of these new... Um, uh, movies that's come out, Greek mythology, you know, Thor and all that kind of stuff. You take Apollos. In that time, when Paul was writing Romans, Apollos, if you will, that anybody that was under Apollos was his slave. There was a wall that was built uh, around that area, and on that wall, what was written on that wall, if a person's name was inscribed there, it meant they were no longer a slave to anyone. They were not a slave to anybody any longer. It meant that they were completely free under Apollos. Now, that was a takeoff of Jesus Christ. All that really is, is a takeoff of the kingdom of God, that when we're under him, when we are under his lordship, when we see him as our heavenly father, and that we've come to him through his son, Jesus Christ, the only way to the father, then what ends up happening is that we are truly free. As his slave, we are free once and for all. No longer to be a slave to anyone, not even a slave to sin. So here, the slave is poor, the child is rich. The slave is poor and the child is rich. Galatians 4, 7 says, Now you are no longer a slave but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Since you're his child... Here's the deal. You're not working for nothing when you're working in his kingdom. You're working as an heir. An heir to what? A joint heir. That means all that it is his. Is in other words, here, we'll say it this way. There's no shortage to his inheritance. It's not like, you know, Jason goes to the father and it's like, hey, Jason, this is all I've got. So I'm going to give you this and then Derek's going to get this. And then Doyle, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to give you this. See what I'm saying? Larry, I'm going to give you this much, and then Damon this much, and you know. See where I'm coming from? It's, the inheritance is not based on our human perspective, if you will. God has enough that what ends up happening is, is it's all how you come to him in expectation. He's not sending anybody off, you know, lacking, if you will. The slave is driven by duty. The child is driven by devotion. The slave is driven by duty. The child is driven by devotion. Basically, it's this. The child is so thankful for what the father's done. He can't help but desire to serve in the father's house. Father, you remember the, uh, the, the story of the, the prodigal son? And that he, when, he comes, when he finally does come back, and all of us are prodigals, by the way, at that point in our life where we realize, oh man, my sin hung Jesus on a cross. At the moment we realize that, we are the prodigal coming to ourselves. And we come running to the Father, coming back home and saying, I, I'm only worthy to be a slave in your house. What's amazing about it is the Father's heart towards us is not to make us slaves, but to lift us up and recognize that we are sons for everybody to know. But it's like, but his life was so horrible. 
I mean, your lives, our lives have been so horrible. No, no. God says, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and a robe on him. Because my son was lost, and now he's found. And that was every single one of us. Sonship, being a child of God, every one of us were lost, and the good shepherd came and found us at some point or another in our life, or is still searching for us, and we can be found. Amen? Listen to this, Galatians 4, 8 through 9. Before you Gentiles know, uh, knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of the world? Don't turn away. This is Paul saying, don't be bewitched by the rules of man. Don't, don't, don't look at it. It's, like, it's kind of like when you take all the different religions of the world, and even Christianity, when heresy enters in, becomes that way that says, if you'll do this and this and this, then you can get in. But I'm telling you, that is a false gospel. The true gospel is this. Jesus came, died on a cross. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, him as Lord, you shall be saved. Man, case closed. It's done. It's not based upon your works. Well, I'll become, when I become good enough, then I'll come to God. You'll never come. <laughs> There'll always be that roadblock in your way that says, I'm just not good enough. Why? Because we all know that. That's why it's called the good news. We all are very aware of the bad news that we don't measure up. But the good news says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And I say we need to come to the Father and receive his love. Amen? So Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? Then I will uh, let them plainly, or tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Here's what it comes down to. My unrighteousness in exchange for his righteousness. This is why, this is why it's the, the, when you look at the gospel, it's every knee shall bow and tongue confess. Why does it come to that? Because ultimately, I bend my will. I bend my will. To worship, we've learned in this congregation over and over again, to worship means to bow, to bring oneself low. When we bring ourselves low under God, acknowledging him for what he's done in our life that is the greatest honestly the greatest form of worship you can ever have is to just humble yourself under him and recognize and watch this the bible says if you'll humble yourself humble yourself under the mighty hand of god in due time he'll lift you up now i don't know about you but i i came to quite a few humble experiences of the gospel and that realizing, okay, I don't measure up, I don't measure up, I don't measure up. But it wasn't until I humbled myself under the mighty hand of God. By the way, Jesus is the manifestation of God's hand in the earth. And when I humbled myself under Jesus and confessed him as my Savior, God lifted me up. I felt the heavy burden lift. I knew something that I couldn't have known any other way. I knew I was born again. I knew I was saved simply because 
the Spirit of God was the witness. He sealed me. It was by His Spirit all of a sudden now I'm crying out, Abba, Father. And what is that? That moves from being this awe-striking God in heaven. Oh, He's amazing. He's fearful and all those things. It moved from that to being Abba, meaning Daddy. That He became a Daddy to me. That's what that word simply means, Daddy. And you think about my, ki- my kids when I think about them. Hey, Daddy. You know, um, there may be those moments they come and say, uh, you know, this is my father. They introduce me. This is my father, Derek, right? But when they come to me, guess what? They come running to me and they call me daddy. Hey, daddy. Hey, daddy. I, I, can, you, can you imagine your kids from, hey, father? Father, may I have, you know? I mean, that may be in some prim and proper, but, but you understand it moves from being that, that formal aspect of who you are in their life, that you're, there's an authority that you have in their life as their father, but it moves from that place of authority and power to being intimate and loving and approachable. And that's what God was saying concerning this, is that we're not slaves, we're children. So, knowing Him. It's important that we know Him. If we're going to have that life-giving identity, if we're going to tap into that and live it, we've got to know Him. So, number one, we have to change, or excuse me, change your view of the Father. Change your view of the Father. Matthew 7, 9-11. through 11. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake of course not. So if you, sinful uh, people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? If you approach Him as Daddy, you acknowledge what He's done for you, and look, you're going all in saying, hey, you know what? So you're offering this for me through your Son, the sacrifice that He made, all that inheritance, I, I'll take it. Say that with me. I'll take it. Now, we got to do it better. I'll take it. So that when we go to him, it's not something we're reluctant because we don't feel like we measure up because daddies don't act that way. You know, when I saw my kids get up and start walking, you know, their babies are crawling, you know, they start to stand up. And the coffee table is the, the spot, right? It's, it's got corners on it and all those da- it, they They start doing the wobble. I call it the wobble. You know what I'm talking about? They're not sure. And then you see them kind of, back down to their knees because you know what they're thinking I don't know if I can do this thing man and then back up they go and you know they start doing the wobble and you want to know something it's what we're like in our walk of faith with him we're not does he really mean that he'll give me that can I really do this and then they and they and you know how it goes right the couch is there the coffee's table it's like five feet right you know to the end and it's like the coffee table, they're on this side of the coffee table, and they kind of got to go around to the couch. But you, you watch them, and they feel like they get it, and they're like, straight to, you know, they, they wobble over to the, and they catch that next thing. You know, the Bible says that we're supposed to go from glory to glory and victory to victory. It's kind of what it's like. Do you know what victory to victory and glory to glory indicate? 
if glory is those bright shining moments of our life in our walk with Christ and victory means that we've overcome something then evidently there's something to overcome and you know what evidently there's also those moments that seem dark to us but you know what the glory of God's light begins to shine again and it shines a light on where we should go and what we should do and how we should do it when we're seeking after him we might be in a little bit of that wobble, but then we're like, oh, that's where I'm supposed to go, and off we go. to. And the more we do that, the greater confidence we build to know that, you know what? Everything, every single thing that God has promised to us, you know what? It is yes and amen. I may not, you know what? I may not make it to the end of the couch every time I take that, you know, <laughs> walk of faith to get there. I may, I may fall, but the thing is, is I get back up, and I don't know a daddy that's ever said, you dumb child, just stay on the floor and crawl the rest of your life. Huh? Kind of uh, comes back around as well to like teaching your kids to speak. You know, it's goo goo, ga ga, da 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 da, ma 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 ma, bottle, bottle, bottle. They seem to know bottle before they know mama and dada. And we teach them how to speak, don't we? We help them grow up and being able to, to, to declare what it is they want. And when they get their voice and they come of age to where they can begin to talk and tell you what they want, you don't have a problem saying, I'll take that. I want that. Do they? Any problem whatsoever. It's like, give me that. Give me that. Give me, I want this. I want that, right? It starts to come. And then you spent the first two and a half years of their life teaching them how to speak. The next two and a half years you're trying to teach them how not to speak so much. Hmm. Do you know that part of growing up as a son or child of God, one of the words on that is weos? That's a son or daughter who has found their voice. Who knows how to speak the word of God. Who knows how to to, to call upon the Lord and say, God, I need you to show up in this moment. There's, I don't know too many of you, and we might do it just out of sheer relief from time to time when we get one of those, and I'm going to do this and make a fool of myself just to make the point. Your child does one of these numbers, right? They're down on the floor and it goes, I want it, I want it, I want it, right? And you just give it right to them. Oh, yeah, here, let me help you out with that. I'd say that if it's going on for hours, I'm just giving it to them to take a break. And then, you know what? I'll deal with them. We know we have reinforced a bad behavior, though, correct? I promise you God is a better parent than us, and he really does not come through in those moments. He sees us in a kicking, screaming fit, and he thinks, yeah, no, not happening. <laughs> kick and scream and kick and scream. Job did it. Oh, the day that I was born, I loathe the day that I was born. That I was never born, it would have been better. Comes down to that moment, guys, like, Job, where were you at when I gave the zebra its stripe? Where were you when I measured the universe by the span of my hand? Where were you, Job? I am Father, you are Son. Come under me and acknowledge who I am and come to me the way that you should come to me. Now, here's the deal. Job was okay to pour it all out but Job needed to acknowledge he needed to acknowledge who God was aligning himself properly my kids approach me hey dad 
could I maybe do this? It's like, well, let me think about it. Well, why? <laughs> yeah, that ain't happening. <laughs> but when they approach me with respect, okay, well, just let me know. I have a whole lot more going on inside to say, I think I'll let them do that because I see maturity in them. I see them growing up. Now, with a baby, I get that they're learning. You know, Angie would say the spoon comes out of the purse at the moment the fit is thrown. I, you know, and, and that God does discipline us. He disciplines the sons and daughters he loves is what the scriptures teach us. And, and I remember Angie telling the story of being in the, you okay with me telling that story? The store. <laughs> Angie beat her kids, man. That's all I know. <laughs> Not at all. Um, they got a couple spankings, but they didn't, you know, it wasn't anything major. Um, but they knew, you know, there's certain things you don't do. And throwing a fit in a store because you want something is not going to get that for you. It's going to get something else. And the wooden spoon gets pulled up out of the purse while they're on the floor. And she actually, I think, was it Wade that you spanked in the store? In the Anyway, there's, of course it was. <laughs> well, the girls definitely didn't get as much. You know, Vanessa hardly ever got spanked. Uh, I taught them one, two, three. Now, there's grace in our family. One, two, three. Grace is over. Because law is for the lawless. And, and the Bible says that the, that, that the foolishness is in the heart of the ch child and the rod of correction will drive it far from them. And I don't want my child to be foolish. But abuse and, and discipline are two different things. Agreed? But anyway, Angie's going to spank one of the kids and a lady kind of pulls up like because she's spanking her child that she's abusing her child. And she's like oh, standing there. And Angie kind of gives this look like You'll be next if you continue. <laughs> Whoop, she went on her merry way. And uh, now when we're in the store and kids are kicking and throwing and all that stuff, guess what? My son's sitting there watching this kid throw a fit. He's like, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, that kid needs a spanking. <laughs> so here's the deal. It's pretty simple, guys. We've got to change our view of the Father. We've got to understand that he may discipline us, but that does not mean that he is lacking in love towards us. He has so much love for us. Listen to this, um, Malachi 4, 6. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. I think one of the greatest challenges on the earth today is fathers being there for their children, their hearts being toward their children. Make no mistake about it, the way that that is written has an order to it. I'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike. So what it comes down to is recognizing, dads, that our hearts need to be toward our children. And make no mistake about it, they'll be toward us. Two, approach God through relationships, relationship, not rules. John 5, 39 and 40, it says this, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Simple, come to him. It's relationship. John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. It's just simply follow him. First uh, John 5, 3, this is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So we approach him in relationship, and out of relationship, we follow his commands. We will never find, we don't find relationship in, in the rules. And then, you know, it's like we come by rules and all of a sudden I'll have a relationship with God. That's the law and the law gives birth to sin. 
It, it actually gives, it, 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 it invigorates that sin nature in us when the law, because y'all know it, you got kids, for the most part, all of us have had kids or been around kids, and here's what it is, don't go play in the street. You look up, and they're in the street. Don't do that, and they're doing that. Angie loved watching. She raised her two daughters, pretty obedient. You know, they, they, they followed what mom said. Mom had all these David Winter cottages. Anybody that's ever been overseas has seen the David Winter cottage. There are these cottages, like European college, cottages that are handmade, beautiful works of art. And they're all out through the house. And, 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 and there's a couple other little cute knickknacks from Europe. And, uh, and so they're there. And, and the girls would go over like to touch them and stuff. And Angie would say, don't do that. And Danielle was, Vanessa, she's out, man. It's like, okay. Danielle would be like, again, and she's like, don't do it. And she wouldn't do it anymore, right? Wait. I say to Angie, you need to put all that stuff up. No, he's going to learn just like the girls did. I said, uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. And she said, no, he will. And I'm like, yeah, he's a boy. If it's an object and it's small, it's, it's one thing comes to mind about that object. And you all know what it is, right? <laughs> so what happens? Wade gets old enough to walk and reach, and he's admiring it. And she's like, no, don't touch. He's like, he starts to touch it again. She's like, he does it again, does it again. I'm like, baby, you need to put that stuff up, I'm telling you. She walks out of the room, he's like, <laughs> chucks it, boom, breaks. Oh, baby, you need to put the rest of those up. No, he is going to learn. <laughs> right? Next time. No. <laughs> Every single one of them destroyed. Now, I want to ask you, in that situation, right, here's the cool thing about that. When I told her, put those things up. Here's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He put those things up. He put an end to the law by fulfilling the law. And what happened was, is he no longer subjects you to the law. He invites you to come into a relationship with him. Because in that relationship, all of a sudden, you're not thinking about, Chuck, you're not thinking about sin because you're in relationship with him. And it's not out of duty, it's out of desire. That you follow him. You approach him through relationship and not rules. Number three, give him your whole heart. Give him your whole heart. Don't keep anything back. Jeremiah 29, 13 through 14. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God's not playing hide and seek. Here's the funny thing about hide and seek. I always hid in about three places in my house. If God's hiding from you, you know where he's at. It's simply, go find him. You find him in his word. You find him in prayer. You find him simply when you call on his name. I'll guarantee you this. If you ever just sit yourself down and say, Heavenly Father, Abba, I want to know you. Reveal yourself to me through your son who died on the cross for me. Cause your Holy Spirit to open my eyes so that I know who you are, so that I can have relationship with you. I promise you, you're going to find him. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. Is God fearful? 
Is there a fearful nature about God? Yes, there is. He is the Almighty, right? I mean, there's just something about like, wow, it's God. I'm father, but I'm daddy, right? My kids want to play hide and seek with me, and I go hide. And I'm over in the closet, and I'm in the closet, you know, hiding away, sitting there. They know that I'm somewhere in that closet, but the doors are closed. And to find me, they actually have to open the doors, and we're playing hide-and-seek. And when we played hide-and-seek, there was just so, I'm big. I mean, and to a little kid, I mean, I'm big to them now, but I was huge then. You understand? There's something dominant about that. There's something dominant about God. There's something amazing and awe-striking about him. And we're looking for him. And we kind of know where he's at, but we just don't. Can I really approach him? Because, I mean, I don't. How's he going to come out? How's he going to appear? You know, how is it that I'll discover him? And my kids know that I'm in there, and they come looking for me. And Danielle being the oldest, it's like, they're all, go, Danielle, you do it. You do it, right? And Danielle's been in relationship with me the longest. And, and, and pushing her in there, you go. And she's approaching the door. I'm looking through the crack, and I can see her walking up to that door. Like, not sure if she should open it. Why? Because they love playing tiger when we played hide-and-seek. I don't know why. And that door would come open, and I would go, raw, and the kids would go, ah, and take off running. <laughs> oh, my gosh, and boom, jump on the bed with mom. <clears throat> it's really what the church is supposed to be. The church is the bride of Christ. There's an element of, you know, God is scary when we think about how he's been presented in, down through the generations and through the centuries how he's portrayed on the news and the media and movies. People don't know, is he approachable? And I'd say we're all like the older child that should be going in and opening the door so it can be revealed, even though there may be that moment of, oh my God, you know, daddy's going to just love and kiss all over you because he's Abba. He's not just a, a, an awe-striking father in heaven He's daddy. He wants you to crawl up in his lap and love on him. Listen to Hebrews eleven six, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. We seek him out of sincerity. There's a reward that awaits us. I believe the greatest reward is not the things that we could have, not the blessings he could bestow, but the relationship that we can have with Abba. Father, if we sincerely seek him. Number four, respond to sin with life. Romans 8, 1 through 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The power of God's life-giving spirit at that moment becomes a part of you in that relationship you have with him. It's not so he can point all that out. Do you know that God pointed out every sin while Jesus hung on the cross? He who knew no sin became sin for each and every one of us that we might have a relationship with God. And so what, what happens, God pointed out every sin when Jesus hung on the cross. And he didn't send his son into the world to condemn it. He sent his son into the world to save it. John 3.16 
right? John 3, 17. Because we already stand condemned by the word of God. The law. We're already condemned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the amazing thing about sending his son to die on that cross was that he made a way for us to come back into relationship with him. So when you approach him, know this. He's not looking at your sin. If you're approaching him through his son, he doesn't see your sin. It hung on that cross and was forevermore washed away. Though your sins were as scarlet, he has made you white as snow. Amen? So our life-given identity has been given through his grace to receive our promise. We simply need to recognize it and accept it. Accept it. Basically, give me that. Give me that. I want it. I want everything that God has for me. So today, if you recognize that you're in error, you understand that you're in error of all things, according to Revelation 21 and 7, 1 Corinthians 3 and 21. It says that you're an heir of all things. Uh, salvation, Hebrews 1.14, that you have salvation through Christ. Healing, Isaiah 53 and 5, and so much more. Listen to this. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed of, of uh, a life of God's grace. 1 Peter 3.7 and his righteousness, Hebrews 11 and verse 7. So, I would challenge us all to this today, especially us fathers. How we represent the Father. The words that we speak to our children. The way that we proclaim God's word. Is it life-giving? And the only question you got to ask is, do they walk away feeling condemned? Now normally, even like when I speak to my children, I'm speaking about something, a behavior that maybe like that needs to change. It's the first thing they feel is they feel like they're being judged. It's like, look, I, that's not what I'm doing. I'm, I'm trying to show you that life and death sit before you, and it's your choice how you live. But the results I want you to be aware of. And the best that I can do as a teacher in your life, I've only got so many years you know, to train them up in the way they should go that when they grow old, they won't depart from it. And I want to make the most of that. You know, I've got one daughter that's married, and here's what's phenomenal about it, is that we go through a phase where you don't care what I have to say anymore, right? It's like, I don't want to hear what you have to say anymore. It's like, great, you know, you controlling freak. It's like, you know, you know I'm not trying to control you. I'm trying to control your out of control, you know. But what ends up happening is now it's, it's, uh, it's just like, hey, Dad, what do you think about this? And, you know, it's as a peer, she becomes, a, your children become your peers. And, and, and it all changes. And now Vanessa getting ready to go off to college, as I've pointed out a number of times, it's like we talk and, you know, I'm, we're cutting the apron strings, if you will, and there's moments for her where she can feel it and it's like, okay, I want this, but now I'm scared, you know. And she'll go off and, you know, she's got decisions to make and some of them are going to be great and some of them are not going to be not be so great, you know. And, and uh, we'll be there for her. But ultimately, she needs to know that God's there for her. You know, our role as a parent or as a father is that our kids would know that when I'm not there or when I don't measure up or, you know, when it's not enough, your heavenly father will never fall short of what you need in your life. So you need to know that you can go to him. Amen? So stand to your feet with me if you would.
standing around uh, the fathers next to you, your fathers, whatever it may be, I just ask you to, to just draw near to them, lay your hands on them. And uh, you guys can pray for Jeremiah while I pray for everybody else. <clears throat> and uh, just if you would, just uh, put your hand on a father. If, if we have folks here that the fathers aren't here, I just ask you that as I pray this prayer, just uh, take it. I'll take that. In proxy, we call it. Put yourself in proxy, and God, I'll take that for my husband or, you know, for my dad. Heavenly Father, we just come to you. We thank you that we can approach you, Lord, with confidence, knowing that there's nothing to receive but love and acceptance. And God, I pray that for every single person in here today, that first and foremost, they would sense your presence on their life and your love and acceptance in their hearts. God, I pray for our fathers that are here and those that aren't. That, Lord, you'd move in their life. Lord, I am quite sure they see the burden and the responsibility of being fathers. But, God, I pray that they would see that they don't have to do that alone, that, Lord, you're there to help guide them to be great fathers to their children. God, I, I pray for, for those that uh, have not had fathers in their life or those that have had poor fathers in their life that you would heal their hearts right now. And they would see that, God, wherever their father fell short, you can fill that gap and then more. Because your word says that you take the destitute and you put them in families. And it also says that you're a father to the fatherless. Lord, I pray today that we would leave this place knowing how ready you are to bestow upon us all your promises and all that we are heirs to if we simply acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the way to you. Because your word declares it, that Jesus is the way to the Father. We accept that today. We love you. And Lord, I pray for the rest of Father's Day to be just a blessing for our families, those that are here and, and those that are already out enjoying their families. Lord, bless them in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Bless you.